Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. I'm Michael. Jacob's on the other side. Hey, hey everybody! We have come to an epic end of 1996. The longest season that we've ever done. And, wow, months, months of this journey. I think what we, we started this, like I swear, at the end of May. And it's the end of August now. Yeah, no, pretty much, yeah. It went, oh, well, personally, for me, I don't know. It went by pretty slowly for me. Yeah, me well, because, go ahead. I said mainly it's because, like, of work. Like, we're not going to get busy until after, we're not going to get real busy until after Labor Day. Oh, Boy. yeah. Well, and, and everybody, this is basically a big pause after this episode of the 90s because of work stuff. Uh, we're going to do a couple fill-in episodes. We're going to go, we're actually spending all of next year in the past. We're going to be doing 60s, 70s, and all the ones we missed through the 80s and early 90s. And then the year after that, we'll pick up in 97. Um, I, I, it's going to be fun exploring some movies. In the, we're not going to be going as elaborate. I'm going to try to keep it short for each year instead of what well, we did seven i think episodes of 1996 i think it's just like unless it's good. i know right well one of them i did with my friend uh, uh uh andrew because we did the disney movies of 1996 um but we're we basically it's i'm going to try my best to keep it to five to six movies from each year and uh there might be a couple like 68 69 like early 70s there's a couple years where it's like loaded to the gills of great movies but um, I'm gonna burp. Uh, there, professional. Um, <laughs> yes. The, uh, all right. So let's finish up 1996. And uh, the first thing I want to start off with is what? People versus Larry Flint. Ooh. And a pretty, a pretty uh, controversial topic. Well, in a pretty controversial movie at the time because this still Larry Falwell was still bitching and moaning about his portrayal in the movie and I'm like was any of it false uh, no was it you know was it bad oh, well maybe a little bit at some points <laughs> well I mean it's all factual based uh, there was nothing yeah. really maybe the performance wasn't what he wanted but he's a little bitch anyway or I don't think he's still alive but he was a little bitch no he no he's complaining yeah, he bitched about, he complained about everything. But um, yeah, so if you don't know, the Larry Flint was the guy who created Hustler magazine, and his constant battles in various forms and, and against numerous adversaries about his First Amendment rights, a battle that needed to be fought for the rest of us. And Larry Flint, yeah, he 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 loved his uh, smut. But he was, he's a folk hero, man. He's a guy who fought for everybody. And so many people tried to stop him, literally shooting him and crippling him. And I, I think the story is fucking absolutely fascinating. I think it's great performances. It's from the guys, Larry Karaszewski and Scott Alexander, who wrote Ed Wood before this. And this became like their go-to. after I, they, I believe they did the Dolomite movie, Big Eyes, and a couple others in there. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they're known for doing like, oh, they did the O.J. Simpson miniseries that was on FX. It's so crazy that they're known for this, but their first project was Problem Child. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was like, what a switch up for sure. And again, just seeing how like relevant it is today with all the anti-porn activists, this and that, or, uh, you know, people, you know, complaining that, you know, anything outside of what they like is breaking decency laws i'm like well could you tell that to the catholic church yeah well it's also mm. uh they were trying to stop spoof and parody you know it, and that's a part of our first amendment rights is that we can do that and um 
I think that Woody Harrelson gives a top-notch performance in this. Like I said, Kingpin is my favorite performance of this. This might be his actually his best performance, which sucks because both movies didn't do well at the box office, and this killed his career. Damn, really? No, yeah, seriously. If you look at his filmography after this, it is barely released movies or now supporting work. His, I mean, it's so strange that I believe he got nominated for an Oscar for this. Didn't do shit for his career. Oh, damn. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. Milos oh, Foreman directed it. Of course, Cuckoo's Nest, Amadeus, award-winning director, and Edward Norton just killing it in this. I, look, I want to support her, but I just don't think Courtney Love's very good. Yeah. I mean, uh, just to the truth with what she was kind of given with, I mean, she was kind of in a, more of a crush to Larry, uh, Larry Flint's um, character. And, uh, yeah, no, I will say this. I mean, she was a lot better in uh, Man on the Moon. I don't know. I just don't, I just, I just, I just don't think she's a very good actress. And I think the reason why she got cast in this is, A, Milos likes to take risks. He just does. He sees something we don't. But also, I just think that maybe she was one of the only people that was willing to do, like, to go full on out like this. It was, this is before it was cool. Like, Monster made it cool for, you know, the big actresses to, you know, get naked and, and, and show themselves in a light that they had, you know, not flattering, really. And I just don't think that he probably could find someone, a bigger name, to do this performance. Because it is, it is a gutsy role, I'll say this. It is. And yeah, it is. It, it is overall awful, like, what does happen. Yeah. For sure. Just in his load to the gills of character actors and fucking... I, Crispin Glover, Vincent Schiavelli, if you don't know him, he's a tall, like, dark, gaunt guy. Uh, Mr. Shit, he was from uh, um, Fast Times Reach My High. Um, he was also in Better Off Dead. Yes, he was, uh, he was the teacher. He switched from he switched from coffee to tea. Thank <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, people. Give me some fucking peace. <laughs> Have a heart. Um, Norm McDonald has a small part in this, whatever, but I think it's really funny is they got Larry Flint himself to play the shithead judge. <laughs> I'm having a hard time imagining Tom Hanks was offered this first and then Bill Murray. I can see oh, Bill what? Murray, but I can't see Man. Tom Hanks. Oh, God, no, not Tom Hanks. No. I mean, he's over. I mean, I'm sure he can pull it off. I mean, it's Tom Hanks, man. Who are we kidding? Yeah, but still. But, yeah, but at this time, he was putting together that thing you do, so it wasn't going to happen anyway. And we got that thing you do, which is a great fucking flick. Oh, absolutely. And so we got that. But, hey. Huh. But this is uh, definitely, uh, definitely a recommendation. I'm uh, looking Great. this up right now. So I'm listening to Mike Metavoy's uh, biography on uh, the um, audiobook. And if you don't know Mike Metavoy, he's one of the main guys in the, at U, uh, um, United Artists during the 70s. He co-created Orion Pictures. And then after he was ousted from TriStar, he created his own company called Phoenix, where he was focused on creator-driven stuff. And I see his name on this. And if you look at his filmography, there weren't a lot of hits. There just weren't. But good God, he made some great movies. Thin Red Line, App Pupil, This, You Turn the Mirror Has Two Faces. And then the 90s, it goes downhill. Except Zodiac. Zodiac's pretty fucking awesome. 
Yeah, no, I, again, as far as that goes, I mean, it's a damn shame. Thin Red Line was a great movie. Oh, wow. He, he didn't make a movie for six years. And his most recent film, sadly, another bomb, but it just came out last week, The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Hmm, yeah. I mean, again, oh, considering, you know, what it was running up against still, you know, mainly Barbie, people blame Barbie, but at the same time, hey, love it. <laughs> Halloween movie, August. It hasn't been successful since the 80s. Yeah, no. Sadly, no. All right. So but I will give that movie a chance when it, when I'm uh, available to uh, Last Wage of the Demeter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, what is our next film? Okay, next film. Mulholland Falls. Okay. I wasn't sure if you were going to like this, so I'm curious. I think this is... Let me... You know what? Hold on. I suggested, so clearly I like it. What did you think? No, it was overall... Uh, the way it executed, the way it like uh, came along, it was really great. I just felt that... The ending was kind of a lackluster. I'm like, wait, what? That was it? I mean, this is there. Like, there's so much more stuff, bigger, uh, bigger stuff going on. But damn. Oh. Well. At the same time, it sucked to see that to Chad's commentary. Yeah, I, I'm uh, spoilers. Oh. Uh, so I think what it is, the director was yes, it's huge in scope, but he still tried to keep it focused on a personal story. And I feel like this is something that could be told in a much bigger miniseries, I think. Um, Absolutely, because it almost kind of went a bit, it almost was a bit of a cliffhanger. Yeah, and and this was, you know, supposed to be a big spring release, and I just think somehow people just weren't interested in it. You got a lot of big names involved in this, and it wasn't very expensive. So what I'm seeing is, like, I bet you everybody just took the project for cheap because they just wanted to be a part of it. I have—I don't know if I've ever seen a cast this loaded with "Hey, that guy" kind of people. Um, but this is Nick Nolte. This is Nick Nolte's like last studio film. He was sick of it. He said he embarrassed himself by taking so many movies for for just for the money. And so he's going to be doing independent projects from here on out, except for occasionally like "Hey, the Hulk." That'll pay me to get me through the next five years or whatever. And. Um, so you have Nick Nolte, Melanie Griffith, Chaz Palminteri, Michael Madsen, Chris Penn, Treat Williams, Jennifer Connelly, Daniel Baldwin, Andrew McCarthy, John Malkovich. You have fucking Rob Lowe, who has like two lines in the movie, and he was still a star at this point. Um, William Peterson, Bruce Dern, uh, Kyle Chandler. Uh, I feel like there's like a whole bunch of other people. It's just insane how many people were in this movie, and it didn't make a fucking dime. It's a damn shame, too, because it was all really well acted. I love like the uh, interaction between Bruce Stern and Nick Nolte. Yeah. Uh, like they definitely saw eye to eye. He trusted Nick Nolte to do his, to, you know, to, to get the job done and get it done right. You know, getting rid of all the gangsters, anybody who's like, you know, any out of towner troublemakers. And hence the <laughs> hence the beginning scene. Oh God, I loved it where they just threw that one like uh, Chicago gangster right off the cliff. And, uh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's wild to me because they're just like we're not gonna have any of this bullshit in Los Angeles. Now the Hat Squad is a real thing that existed during this time. This yeah. is, I mean, I don't know how much of this is real, but I do know, you know, most of it is like a fictionalized version. Um, but um, so uh, the mod, what is it called? Not Mod Squad, damn it. Uh, Gangster Squad is also based off this same group. So if you like this, go check out that movie because it's basically a sequel. Oh, yeah, no, pretty much, if you think about it. Or, yeah. Can't say the same for LA Confidential. 
presidential. They didn't wear hats. No. Well, and, and they, they, they all kind of fit in the same vein. If you like that, you're going to like LA Confidential. You're going to like The Untouchables. Untouchables is more action-oriented than this. This is a slow burn. But what is what holds the movie together is that it is a very good mystery of what happened to Jennifer Connelly. And there's so many bits and pieces that slowly come together, this huge conspiracy to hide the the effects of the atomic bomb uh, uh, bomb blasts you know the, the on the uh, on the soldiers yes and like the and this of course uh, if anything could have shown on a scale of what was happening to like you know the outlying you know outlying towns and whatnot like uh, particularly in like New Mexico like when Oppenheimer was first testing it. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, yeah, this is the perfect movie to go check out right now if you liked Oppenheimer. For sure. Oh. And again, yeah, like I said, it's a great murder mystery. It's a great mystery building up. And I love how, oh, God, Andrew McCarthy coming out to Nick Nolte and, um, you know, for help. And their little exchange, though, oh, God, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's. I'm looking at this also. There is a TV show that only lasted, it was a miniseries for TNT uh, created by Frank Darabont. Which is also the same group of people. It's called Mob City with um, uh, Mila Ventimiglia and John Barenthal and oh damn it, I thought that. Wow. No, uh, it's Jeffrey Demoon, uh, Neil McDonough. I could have swore that uh, there it is, Ed Burns. I was, I was thinking that he was in this. Um, yeah. So if you're interested, there's a lot to go into. If you, this is kind of like your thing. Yeah. Again, yes, I did like how it was very character driven as well. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's just that ending. It's just like, eh. I, I, yeah, I, me personally, I thought it was great because they really boiled it down to the essential of just this simple showdown on the plane between. And God damn it, Tree Williams is so good in this. Oh, absolutely, yes. Oh God, you really do want to punch him in the face after finding out like how involved he was. Yeah. Uh, this is during his his small comeback. Rest in peace. We just lost him like a month ago, but. So he had done a TV movie the year before called The Late Shift, which was about the battle between um, Jay Leno and David Letterman, which he, he got nominated for. And then he did uh, this, The Phantom, and Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. And they're all great performances. All three tanked. <laughs> which is a damn shame. And honestly, that The Phantom was the first time I had seen Treat Williams. Oh, okay. You know, and I've enjoyed him since. I think the first time I had seen him, and he was never a guy that did like mainstream movies. Uh, he's always kind of like on the outer edge of that. But he did a movie I really liked uh, called Dead Heat, uh, with him and Joe Piscopo, where they come back from the dead. <laughs> They're cops. <laughs> it's campy. Right. Yeah, it's campy. It's it's goofy. It's fun. I love it. No, absolutely no. I got a kick out of it too. I'm not gonna lie. Um, so, what is our next film? Okay, next film is... Oh, gosh, I just lost myself for a second. Ah, yes, Executive Decision. Fuck it. I, I have not seen this since it came out. I was too young to enjoy it then because I was an adrenaline junkie. As an adult, this movie is astounding. I cannot believe we don't... I loved it. Why don't we talk about this movie? Have you seen... Is this the first time? No, uh, as a kid, I remember, you know, since we had like HBO, every once in a while there'd be like... Steven Seagal movies on, you know, he's like the biggest action star. There's always ads for him and other ones as well. But yeah, this was one movie that was definitely premiering. And I also was like, I love Kurt Russell and John Leguizamo. Yeah. Um, yeah, coming in to watch this movie, I was like, holy shit, wait a minute. 
This is my mother for the first 25 minutes that he's in it. When is he going to die? Are they going to kill him off? <laughs> Can he die? Why isn't he dead yet? Um, I, look, there's a couple Steven Seagal movies I like, but it's not because Steven Seagal, because he fucking sucks. He's a shit person. Yeah. He's a shit actor. In this movie, they tell him, oh, so-and-so died in the first five minutes, and there is literally no reaction. I almost wonder if the director is like, oh, shit, the camera's rolling. Um, you know what? Fuck it. Just print. <laughs> no, there's literally... His, his, one of his team dies, and he literally has no reaction whatsoever because he's not a human being. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's a very cold person. And... Like, it, even... The repositioning of Kurt Russell, because in the 80s, he was mostly known for kind of like the redneck, good old boy kind of stuff. You know, if you look at most of his movies during that time period, he was a blue-collar guy. And even through Backdraft, he's still the blue-collar guy. And this weird repositioning where it was Unlawful Entry, Stargate, and then this. And this is where all of a sudden, like, oh... Of course he can be he can pull this off like a brainy executive kind of you know wearing a, a suit kind of guy he's he's an everyman yeah. and just the the putting people who are competent but not you know like a fish out of water kind of thing he is competent when he's like he's not in the field very much but he knows what he's doing but I just kind of like the fact that he's scared like this is a thing that makes him stress up that's what works so much about Die Hard is that John McClane in the first three movies, he's scared. Oh, yes, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I don't know where he's... He's supposed to be on vacation. Well, with Die Hard, yeah, he's on vacation seeing his wife, and then, boom, terrorists take over. Like, what the hell? And, yeah. of course, with this, yeah, Kurt Russell, I mean, yeah, he had something like uh, Escape from New York, but that wasn't too often. No, he's uh, just he's just a consultant who ends up... And an analyst, yeah. Yeah, he's not even supposed to be on the, the plane. He he does it because he's doing the right thing by saving Joe Morton, which actually ends up saving his life, too. Um, it, it, the things that happen in this movie to make it more and more difficult, you know, the losing of items, the, the fact that they don't have another team or whatever to tell the government, and the fact that they're on a deadline because it's going to hit the coast and that they're going to be shot down. But then you got this guy who's crazy who's just, no matter what, he's going to blow things up. It's it, Oh, my God, it's... And it's a long movie. It really is. But you really don't feel because it is packed to the max with story. Oh, absolutely. And then you've got, like, Halle Berry in particular, who's, you know, oh, even taking yes. risks by doing some of the things she does, you know, by hiding the manifest, that there was an air marshal on board, you know, like, again, in contact secretly with Kurt Russell, you know, when she realizes that they're on board. And... Also, yeah, John Leguizamo, too. Like, of course, this is him up and coming, and he's definitely trying something different, and he pulled it off pretty well. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had been building up for some time. This is before we really knew him. Well, I mean, okay, so he does do a small part in Die Hard 2 as one of the terrorists, and then I feel like I didn't see him again until Super Mario Brothers. <clears throat> and then there was his HBO comedy specials. Yeah, those are yeah. There's a smattering in there of those. And what was it? Uh, Two Wong Fu, I think, is what yes. really ever got everybody to notice him. Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yeah, that came after this though. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. I So, um, <clears throat> yeah. So it's him, and then there's uh, Whip Hubley is in this, and not a lot of people know who Whip Hubley is, but he's one of these guys that almost happened. And I'm thinking that he got the role because. Um, Kurt Russell, before Goldie, was married to Season Hubley, who is Whip's sister. He's the guy with the buzz cut who looks like Kurt Russell from Stargate. 
Oh, wow. Um, we have oh. Oliver Platt fucking killing it. Oh, my God, is he so good. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's like, yeah, I know, he may be an engineer, but it's like, dude, on the field, stuff like that, dealing with terrorists, yeah, that freaked him the fuck out. Yeah, I just... And, and I like... <clears throat> Go ahead. Yeah, and I liked how, in particularly, the terrorists, it's like, dude, they just wanted to get this person released. They didn't want to actually blow up the plane. Yeah, except that one fucking psycho, yeah. Yeah, the one that was ringleader, and as soon as he was questioned, boom. He shot the guy. I will say like, this. Fuck. The stunt casting of Marla Maple sticks out like a sore fucking thumb. <laughs> She's not good. Which one was that? Oh, wait. That's... She's the one who got her head... Go ahead. I was going to say, but she's the one who... She was the uh, stewardess who got... Uh... Who got killed in the um, little st- one of the storage rooms? No, no, she's great. She's like America's mom. She's like in the Lethal Weapon movies, Monster Squad, stuff like that. Um, yes. No, Marla Maples is the other stewardess that's always sitting by oh, Holly Berry. Yeah, she's a uh, you know Ma- it's literally credited as Marla Maples Trump. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, the uh, the yeah. director the director of this is Stuart Baird, who had so much potential. He was an editor for. Um, uh, Joel Silver. He had done the Lethal Weapon 2, Die Hard 2, Last Boy Scout, Demolition Man, and Maverick, and then he just got out. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's a murderer's row. Um, then he got booted up to director, and I think he did a great job on this. He does uh, U.S. Marshals, which is the sequel to The Fugitive, which I think is pretty good. And then he did Star Trek Nemesis, and that killed his career. Even though I think it's a pretty good movie, he's still an editor. Yeah. He's still a great right. editor. He did Casino Royale. He did uh, uh, Tomb Raider, the, the one that came out a few years ago. He did the the Richard Donner cut. He's responsible for putting that together. Ooh. But him so, as a, yeah, no. yeah, I just thought he was really good as a director, and he just didn't get much of a shot. Yeah, no, that is a damn shame. And I, I yeah, overall, I do like this movie. It was pulse pounding. It was heart thumping, and yeah, overall, great. Yeah, I was, I was holding my breath. I, I was fr- I was fr- actually like holding it in stressful. But even though I know there's just no way they're all gonna die, it's it's one of those movies. But yet I was. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Especially with Oliver Platt when they had to like put that straw in oh. to stop that thing from uh, reacting. Oh, and the bomb! Like I said before, they keep putting things in their way of being successful because you keep thinking this movie's gonna be over after the first hour and a half, but no. And the bomb has this in it, and this in it, and this in it, and then all of a sudden the guy's upstairs, That's and this happened. This happened, and this happened, and this happened. Oh, it's so well done. Yeah, I know. It's like, good. Everybody else, but Steven Seagal goes home alive, though, thankfully. So I'm like, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, honestly, I wonder if there was a deleted scene where it was Steven Seagal's, like, grave, and they were doing their salute. But, like, in between takes, they were all posing, because I'm pretty sure they didn't want to work with Steven Seagal. In their yeah, calamity. well, you know the story behind John Leguizamo <laughs> on this film, right? Do tell. Leguizamo tells the story every once in a while, and he's like, he got to set, and they were all, you know, ready for rehearsals, and Steven Seagal says, you don't listen to the director. I'm in charge here. I'm your boss. You listen to me and do whatever I say. And John Leguizamo goes, <laughs> And Steven Seagal hit him so fucking hard up against the trailer. It knocked the wind out of him, and he thought he was going to throw up. And he just, all he could get out was, why? <laughs> Fuck! Yeah, he said he was a real asshole. And then and then uh, they were getting close to done filming with Steven Seagal, and, and John Leguizamo walks by him. And Steven goes, I just read the greatest script I've ever read. It's it's maybe the best thing ever written. And John goes, oh, okay. Uh, well, who read it? He goes, I did. <laughs> oh, God. What a shit. Um, Fuck that guy. <laughs> I didn't realize this was written by Jim and John Thomas, who are the creators of Predator. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. Yeah, 
they know how to make they shoot they know how to get everybody so tense no kidding all right what is next next is oh this i didn't even know existed until you told me it was brain candy by kids in the hall yeah it's it it got dumped it it was like just like the mystery science theater 3000 movie they they released in like april like the last week of april or whatever um on like 600 screens no promotion whatsoever contractually with lauren michaels they had to release it in a certain amount of theaters but the guys who viewed the movie hated it so much because they didn't understand it and one particular joke that they said killed them, and that was the cancer boy bit. <laughs> they said oh, the minute God. the director saw the the the, the head of <laughs> Paramount saw that, they said, "Fuck this movie." <laughs> oh God, I know of all the things. I'm like, damn. They did not hold back. Yeah, and then it only made like two million dollars, but and it killed the the group. They broke up after that, and. Um, they said that in retrospect they felt like they should have done a sketch movie but I think this is actually a really meaningful movie they're, they're trying to find the cure for depression find some way for happiness and it's just a funny little story about this scientist who creates Gleeminex and it makes you feel like it's 72 degrees in your head all day long The <laughs> and, and then and the problems that happen with it because they didn't thoroughly test it and I wonder if this happens in the real medical world where they have to meet their stockholders' demands on profits. And so they push forward drugs that may not be ready. I don't know what it's like in Canada, and I think this is set in Canada. But in America, of course, you have to go through long-winded FDA. But sometimes I wonder if the FDA takes a little bribe. <laughs> Who knows? How we, uh, how we still don't have any medicine for AIDS or cancer, but yeah, we got boner medicines left and right. <laughs> oh god yeah I mean, the way uh, yeah looking throughout this movie I was like oh it's all central plot it's not just a bunch of it's not a sketch movie like um uh history of the world part one or uh freaking now we're something completely different by Monty Python right or the meaning of life yeah um oh that too yeah, so, and they all play multiple characters. It's very much like a Monty Python movie in that way. Like, they did that constantly in all their films where they, they only had, like, five core members, but then they would have to constantly fill in with other characters. And um, I, I just think the, the thing is so quotable and so quirky, and, you know, it's low budget, and it's but it's so of its... Whatever the kids in the hall voice was, that's universal and, 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 t and timely because they, they're not about the moment. It, it, you know, in any of their sketches, they, that's why they last a lot better than like SNL or In Living Color and Mad TV. Oh yeah, no, of course. Me uh, as a kid, you know, growing up, I enjoyed watching Dave Foley and, of course, Kevin McCulloch. I mean, I did grow up on the uh, Kids in the Hall too. Like it would be on sometimes uh, on Comedy Central. Yeah, like, definitely. All reruns. Well, I, I remember when I first got Comedy Central in '92, and it was like 50% Kids in the Hall reruns because <laughs> they had no budget back then. It was stand-up stand -up bits and kids in the hall. And my dog is sticking oh, yeah. my pants for some reason. What's wrong, Zoe? <laughs> yep. And, <laughs> but yeah, this is the way that movie does like uh, plot out. I can't help but laugh my ass off. Oh, man. <laughs> the, uh, I love uh, happiness time. You know, the little songs are, I'm gay. I, I, <laughs> I love it when, uh, when he's at the psychiatrist, like, so... Why do the guys think I'm one of them? And this psychiatrist goes, because you're gay. You're gay. You know you're gay. I know you're gay. 
your wife knows you're gay, your kids know you're gay, dogs know that you're gay because you're gay. And he goes, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I love, yeah, I know. and is, is, uh, no, damn it, McKinney, uh, damn it. Mark McKinney. Mark McKinney, is this the first of the Lorne Michaels spoofs, like the imitations? Yeah, that's exactly what I thought he was channeling when he was that uh, CEO exec. Yeah, it, it's 100% what he's doing. And then, of course, Mike Myers is the one who got famous for it because of, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Evil. Dr. Evil. Uh, the next year. Yeah. But I just, and also I think it's really funny is that you got uh, Chris Cooper, the same year the actor Chris Cooper bre- broke out <laughs> as a star. <laughs> Dr. Cooper, is the drug ready or not? <laughs> <laughs> I know Kevin McDonald though. Oh God, he was pretty much all over the place. Yeah, the only thing that kind of hurts the movie is Dave was the star. He's the one who broke out first, and and they wanted him to be the main character, but he had already signed for News Radio, and he couldn't. They were pissed at him because he was too involved in the production of that. So he could only show up like on weekends or like two weeks uh, during the shooting of the show, like when they were on hiatus. So he, he does a lot of shots where he's not with everybody. He's just off to the side. And I think that does hurt the movie. I love uh, Kevin McDonald, but Dave Foley is the star. Oh, no, hands down, yes. Yeah. I mean, again, I already knew of Dave Foley before. I knew of uh, Kids in the Hall. Yeah, it's uh, like that's how well known he was. Yeah, and it's a movie that was lost for a long time. I end up showing you uh, it's on YouTube for free if you want to check it out. But I went and got the uh, the Blu-ray release because thank goodness it's finally out. No extras though, sadly. There's apparently a whole bunch of extra footage and stuff like that in the uh, uh, the original cut. But unless Paramount finds it and gives a shit, they're not gonna put it out. Sadly, no. <sighs> Well, and, and, it, and it did kill the group for a long time. They would have reunions, but I think it was six years ago they had another movie called uh, Death Comes to Town, which is pretty good. And then they had the Amazon series uh, last year, uh, or I think it was last year or two years ago, where they had a reunion of six episodes. I just love Kids in the Hall. Yes. I know, same here. <laughs> There's one that, that always gets to me, though, uh, that I remember, one sketch. This guy who picks up roadkill, and like, every time he gets paid, he always says something like, the big bucks. Oh. <laughs> the, uh, he's like having a dream and like he hears this voice in his head saying I'm the big bug you would think that they would bring some of their famous characters back too and that might have hurt him too because you know all these characters that you know so well from the show and the only ones I believe that show up are those two dopey cops uh, that they would have like little short segments with and I just love uh, hey uh, you ever heard of this toast fucking the what <laughs> Toast fucking? What's that? It's like where you fuck, but with toast. <laughs> God. That's just so goddamn ridiculous. <laughs> Honestly, I felt like that's what started a uh, cop car convention's uh, special feature on um, the movie Superbad. Uh, <laughs> all right, so what is our last? Is this our last one? Yeah, this is going to be our last one. All right. Well, this one, of course, had to be a switch up because, you know, don't. You know, originally we were going to do Don't Be a Menace, yes. but neither of us had it. Yeah, so. it was free at the time I said it, but it wasn't, so I had to come up with something quick, uh, a list quickly for you to choose from, and you chose, uh, oh my god, I haven't seen this again since it came out, and it's beautiful black comedy. <laughs> Absolutely. I know, seriously, it's like, honestly, it's hard to get that much better than that. Fargo, I, oh god, I completely 
totally forgot how funny it was. Yeah, it's it's dark. It is a dark comedy, and it's just it's so dry and weird and funny. But it is a serious crime movie too. I mean, people are fucking <laughs> terrifying in this. I mean, Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare are fucking strange yappy dorks, but they're also vicious fuckers, like little goddamn weasel he is, Buscemi. Oh, absolutely yes. I mean, especially uh, throughout the movie. Um, oh god, kind of going behind uh, Peter Stormare's back. Yeah. Especially when he actually gets the money. You know what's oh, weird? Shit. Hold on a second. What if the Cohen? I never heard this, so I'm just making this up. What if the Cohen brothers said, "Hey, what if Ray and Stampy were kidnappers?" <laughs> Do you ever, like? They kind of have those personalities. <laughs> you're not. You're not wrong. Oh god. <laughs> you shot me in the face, you fuck. <laughs> Uh, gee, Ren, well, I'm gonna have to chop you up now. <laughs> You're backstabbing me, Ren. <laughs> <laughs> the, um... Well, yeah. he was. I mean, come on. He, he was getting millions of dollars. He buried the rest of it and just gave Peter Stormare his cut. Yeah, well, I don't even know if he knew that, though. I think he was just tired of his fucking constant yapping. Just sick of his yeah. irritating bullshit. And this, <laughs> ma- this movie made careers, and it saved the Coen brothers. The Coen Brothers that came off, come off a movie, which is actually my favorite movie, The Hudsucker Proxy, is my absolute favorite Coen Brothers movie. But that thing lost so much money and nearly killed them. And, oh, God, that sucks. Uh, Frances McDormand, like, she was a rising star, but this is where she got her Oscar nomination. She oh. became an A-lister. Peter Stormare became a thing. Uh, William H. Macy <laughs> became a guy that, you know, every movie all of a sudden had William H. Macy. I just, God damn it, it's so good. <laughs> Exactly happens. What? It, why is he in debt? Do they ever explain what his debt is? The, the why he's doing this in the first place? Did I miss this? No, I think it was uh, being explained. You know, it was like particular cars uh, within inventory and registration. He had to he had to get them audited. If I'm correct. Um, and then, but then, uh, yeah, he was just trying to get through the trying to get this deal through for his uh you know his father-in-law who happens to be president of the company and he thought he was going to make commission on that but because of certain mishaps and this and that and you know one of the cars that had to be audited he he just loaned out to the hitman yeah but i'm saying like in the first place the deal that he was making up to his father-in-law was all bullshit right because he just wanted the money and he was going to abscond with it it seems yes. like everything he was doing after that was to fix the first mistake, but he says he had to do the whole thing because he was in debt to some bad people, and he, I don't think you ever find out what that is. No, not at all. Yeah. And if you love uh, G Dear Bob kind of uh, accents, oh, you're going to fucking giggle your dick off with this. I mean, I couldn't stop <laughs> laughing. <laughs> and not to mention how casual they are as they're at the murder scene, you know, and Francis McDormand's character is pregnant. Yeah, and they're talking that like kind of Midwest. Is that like that's not a Wisconsin accent, is it? Uh, it, I mean, it's in it's in North Dakota, right? But it, it definitely sounds like Wisconsin. Right. Yeah, and just like how they're going on surveying the whole thing, they're just like cool and casual about it. Like, oh, this happened here, and the next thing you know, Francis McDormand's just gonna say, "Oh, I think I'm gonna throw up now." <laughs> it's just out of nowhere. 
was like, no, no, I'm good. I'm actually hungry again. <laughs> the um, So there is a TV show, because this is all a true story, and uh, they decided to adapt this to a TV show, but they were smart by... Oh. So it's it, there's four seasons of it, and they take their time between each seasons because they want to be careful, but they're also trying to base it off true stories that happen in that area. The problem is is trying to connect it to Fargo, and that's the problem. That's why it's taking so long for seasons because there's a lot of crime stories around it, but Fargo isn't exactly like a hub of crime at all times. I mean, it's, you know, whatever. But... Um, so they take they do that they don't remake the first movie or extend it out through numerous seasons which some shows do um it's not a prequel but it's all these stories that center in one way or another either with characters that were in the first crime or the town of fargo something like that i've only seen the first two seasons but they are fucking balls to the wall great fucking great tv yeah no i mean it was i think it was on fx right right yeah yeah, oh god, yeah. Fax has had some fantastic shows. I love Pistol, Legion, and oh god, there was another one I'm blanking on. I still oh, can't... of course, res- res- there's also Reservation Dogs and What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah, I don't understand why FXX exists though, because it, it, like they want to separate the identities, but uh, I don't know if they've noticed or not. But nobody's watching a lot of TV like directly; they're streaming it. So why aren't they pulling back and making FXX back? Taking it back to FX, because what do they even have on FFX? FXX? Just Sunny in Philadelphia? Because they haven't had the league in a long time, and I couldn't tell you another show that's on that network. Letter Kenny, maybe? Is that an FF? I didn't know that. I thought that was a Hulu show. Okay. Oh, no. Oh, wait. Never mind. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, going back to this, though, again, Princess Victoria, the way she just, like, her character just handles everything, you know, trying to interview Will Macy. Just, like, kind of nice and casual. Yeah. Like, nothing out of the ordinary. And then Bill like, Macy, like, drives off. She's like, well, damn it. <laughs> William she H. figuring out he might have had something to do with uh, what was, what's been going on with, like, his wife's disappearance and uh, everything else that's been going on within the movie. Yeah, it's it's so funny to me is when... Uh, and William H. Macy is an actor who will not, like, turn down something that could be embarrassing. I mean, the show Shameless alone should show you that he loves being embarrassing but there's a scene in this towards the end where they capture him at the hotel and he is just blubbering and crying and panicking there's no way he's gonna escape but yet he's still attending like a little kid trying to scramble out of his parents arms it's, it's embarrassing but it's so good i know oh god and again it was overall like you know a sweet little ending too uh for the other characters that were alive and, uh, yeah, no, this is a classic for a reason. Yeah, and, and like I said, this saved the Coen brothers. They, I really think their career was dying at this point because, yes, they had Raising Arizona and they made a ton of money, but the next three movies didn't, or three or four movies did not make any money whatsoever. And if it's not for Fargo, we don't get the next run of, like, you know, uh, Big Lebowski, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, and, and stuff like that. And I think they, their careers would just be washed up and done. And uh, Fargo was the right step from going to a huge uh, Joel Silver uh, historical epic uh, of uh, Hudsucker Proxy to going to Fargo, where it was minimal, you know, like I was like, I think like a $5 million budget, and just focusing on the characters was the best move they could do. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Again, I just still can't get over their accents. It's just the way they casually go about things. 
Uh, I mean, especially what, when they're trying to describe uh, yeah. Steve Buscemi. Like, oh, you know, he's about as weird as, weird as averagely weird as you'd expect. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, he was a little guy. He, I don't know, kind of weird looking. <laughs> How was he like, weird? generally weird looking. <laughs> How was he weird looking? I don't know. He was just kind of weird. <laughs> His eyes? I'm the general sort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, when, he's get, or when Steve Buscemi's getting all the back one girl before he gets his ass kicked. Oh, yeah. Really? <laughs> accent. I'm like, that's what inspired that Boston accent with Ted, I'm sure. Yeah. All <laughs> right, so that is it of 1996. Yes, we know we forgot some movies, but good lord, at some point we had to stop. Um, so Jacob and I are going to be going back in time to 1963 to discuss Mad, 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 Mad World, Great Escape, and a couple others. And uh, it's going to be a little sporadic, folks. Just hold on. Uh, we'll uh, meet you back up here on our regular kind of normal pace uh, in uh, January. Yeah, we're, get, we're, heading, we're taking a detour around the old dusty trail. All right, everybody. Toodles. Jacob, send us out. All right. Namaste. Good luck, everybody. Be excellent to each other. And let's go back in time.